0: Okay. All right. I want to go tonight to Gospel of Luke, chapter fifteen. The Gospel of Luke, chapter fifteen. And at this moment, we'll just read from verse one to three. So, Luke chapter fifteen, verses one to three. Then all the tax collectors and sinners. drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, Let's just stop there for a moment. Now, Jesus often used parables, and more often than not, when he did use them, he was speaking to a crowd And he was very well aware that within that crowd he was addressing that there would be three distinct audiences. First of all, there would be his disciples uh, who were ever with him. And his disciples could learn from the parables some of the characteristics and the attitudes of the Christian walk and faith, and they could learn so much from them. And then there would be the tax collectors and sinners, publicans and sinners, uh, they would be the, well, tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They were the most despised people in Israel. Probably even hit it worse than the Romans. Because they, although they were Jews, yet they would take taxes of their own people to give to the Romans, and they would take a percentage for themselves, and they would be growing fat off the backs of their own people. So you can imagine that they were desperately Despised. And the sinners, well, uh, these would be anyone who would not add up to the Pharisees' criteria, uh, probably all kinds of gangsters and prostitutes and drunkards and all kinds of people. And so they would come and listen to Jesus and he would speak parables. And out of Jesus' parables, they could see themselves in the parable uh, and they could get some hope out of the parables. They could see what Jesus was getting at. And they would begin to be encouraged that he wasn't against them, that he was for them. And then, of course, last but not least, the scribes and the Pharisees. These were his most vehement critics who followed him around everywhere. Everywhere there was a crowd and Jesus in the middle of it. You could be sure that there'd be scribes and the Pharisees standing around the edges, listening and sniping and wondering how they could get at him. And so... You see here that the scribes and Pharisees are complaining against Jesus. They're saying, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. And that to them was the ultimate disgrace. How could he, if he was a prophet, if he was a man of God, how in the world could he even eat with these people? And of course, Jesus, who came not to heal those who didn't need a physician, but he came to be the physician of those who needed healed, didn't he? And so he teaches them a parable. Actually, it's three parables. And he addresses this particularly to the scribes and the Pharisees, although all can receive from it. And because it's here for us tonight, we can receive from it too. And he tells this little trilogy of parables about three things that was lost. Lost sheep the lost silver, the little coin, and the lost son. And he tells about these three things that was lost and how these three things were found. And whenever the sheep was found, there was great rejoicing. The shepherd left the 99 went out to find the lost sheep. He came back he was rejoicing because he had found the lost sheep. The woman who lost the little coin that would be across her forehead, that little bead of coins, she swept the whole house until she found it. She called her neighbor and said, Rejoice with me, I've found it. And of course, the most popular story of all is the prodigal son and uh, how that he was lost and he was found. But I really don't want to concentrate on the prodigal son tonight. I want to concentrate on his older brother. His older brother. Because it says in verse 11, A certain man had two sons. And so Jesus is going to draw attention to these two sons. And first of all, as he talks about the prodigal, well, that would resonate within the hearts of the publicans and sinners. Because they were the lowest of the low. They were the scoundrels. They were the scabs of society. They were the ones that everybody looked down upon. And so they could easily identify with a prodigal. The rascal, the scoundrel, the wastrel. And so he tells the story how he demanded his inheritance and the father divvied up the inheritance between him and the older brother. He would get a third. The older brother would get two thirds. And how the younger son went off into the far country and there he just wasted all of his inheritance. He blew it on drink. And if it was modern days, it would be drinks and drugs and women and song and wine. And he just blew the whole lot Having done that, he came to his senses, realized that he misses the father's house, goes back to it fully repentant, desperately sorry, ashamed and embarrassed, even just hoping that his father would receive him, even if as a hired servant, at least he'd be better off as a hired servant, at least he would have food to eat, and he wouldn't be working in a pig pen in the far country. But we know the story how, when he went back, his father was so gracious, so merciful and how the father embraced him and kissed him and welcomed him back to the home and put on the best robe and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and just gave him full place again in the father's household. Then he killed the fat at Calv and began a great celebration because his young son had come home. The one who was lost and now is found, the one he said that was dead and now is alive, So while this feast is going on, this is where we're going to break into the story tonight. In verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field. Evidently, the older son probably had risen at the crack of dawn. He was conscientious. He was a hard worker. He was diligent. He was the only son left. He would look after the farm. He would go out there. He would maybe mend some fences. He would feed the livestock. He would maybe plant some things he would sow some stuff and he would do whatever needs to be done he'd work there from from dawn to dusk he out there in the heat of the day all day had no idea that this younger son had even returned hadn't got a clue was even wasn't even thinking about him be a million miles from his thoughts because he's the diligent one he's the hard worker so he was out in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now that must have been quite a shock to him. He hadn't heard music and dancing in that house for a long, long time. In fact, he hadn't heard it ever since that son had left, since his younger brother had gone. The father's heart was crushed. Remember how the father went out every day and looked at the horizon to see if the sun would come back? Father didn't feel like making music and merriment and having parties. wasn't much to rejoice about. And so he heard the music. bit of a shock. What in the world is going on? What's happening? And not only that, nobody had told him. Was this planned? Why wasn't I told? And if it isn't planned, what's it all about? So you can imagine what he was feeling at this time. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and because he had received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fat calf." <laughs> now you would have thought, would you not, that this diligent, hard-working, loyal, respectful son? You'd have thought he would have been happy at that news. You'd have thought he would have fell on his knees and lifted up his hand and his heart to God and said, God, I thank you that my brother has returned. I've been worried sick about him. I, I-, I didn't know if he'd ever come back because he was out there all on his own in the far country. That's what you would expect, expected, wouldn't you? But that's not what we get, is it? But he was angry and would not go in. In fact, the word that's used for angry here means he was seething with rage, (laughs) a volcanic rage in his heart. And immediately, immediately, and remember. Jesus is painting a picture for these scribes and Pharisees to see themselves. He's holding up the mirror for them to have a good look at themselves. And immediately we begin to see something about this older brother that we hadn't known before. Even though he was hardworking, even though he was diligent, even though he was faithful to the household, even though he wasn't the one who ran off and spent the money and wasted it, even though he was the one who took care of the pennies, And all that's admirable, commendable, but yet, but yet, in his heart, he is full of bitterness and resentment and rage and anger. And it just took, it just took this one incident for all that stuff to begin to surface Even though he had lived in the Father's house and in the Father's presence all those years, and even though everybody looking at him, he was a model son, not like the other rascal. But God knows the heart, you see. And in his heart, was full of bitterness and anger. And suddenly, all of that poison in his heart began to rise to the surface, and he couldn't contain himself He was just so angry. Angry at what? Angry at his brother. Angry at the very idea that he would even dare to come back after the shame he had brought to the household, after the embarrassment he had been to the whole family. Surely he couldn't come back to this house, but he had. He was angry with him. But even worse, He was angry with the father. It was the father who killed the fat calf for the son. And he didn't like that. And he was angry with the father. We need to be careful about what's in our heart because while we may think we're angry at people and angry at men and angry at situations, we need to watch we're not angry at God he was angry with his father. You'll see that more and more as we read the story. It says he would not go in. I can imagine him standing there with his arms crossed and the veins sitting out in his neck and his face would be red with rage. I imagine him just standing there just defying anybody, He definitely wasn't going in. You see, he was the older brother. In fact, he should have been master of ceremonies. He should have been the one who should have been in there. What he should have done was go in, greet everybody, get washed up, come straight back in, take charge of the proceedings. That's what he should have been doing. That was his duty to do that as the older son. (laughs) Not him. No, no. No, no, no. Not for this Rascal of a brother of his? No way. And there he stood outside the house in a great big huff. It's awful to see in grown people huff, isn't it? A big grown man or grown woman just huffing like a child, like a spoiled child. And here he is standing outside, angry with the brother, angry with his father, angry with everybody, angry with the whole world right now. Therefore his father came out and plead it with him. Father's really the central figure in this whole story, isn't he? And just as much as the father loved the prodigal son, he loved his older brother just as much. And it really grieved the heart of the father to see this older brother who should have known better really grieved him to see him so angry and bitter and resentful. And the old dad went out there, and I, I, I could imagine him going out and just putting his arm around him, saying, come on, son, come on. This is not right. This is your brother. I should be glad he's back. Did you want him to die out there? Is that what you'd rather have him, to die out in the far country? Is that what you want? To? Yeah, that's what he'd rather had." That's what he had rather had. So the father pleaded with him, entreated him. And, and even though he was serious about what he was saying, and, but, but there was a tenderness in how he was doing it because he really, really, really cared about the older brother as much as the younger brother. Really cared. So he pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, and this reveals a lot more about his heart, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Some translation says, I have been slaving away for you. (laughs) So let's look at it that way. Lo, these many years I have been slaving away for you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Hmm. see two things here. First of all, all his hard work, all his effort, all his dutiful actions, all of it was out of mentality of performance. I've been slaving after you. Look what I have done for you. You owe me. Look what I have done for you. Look what he done against you. But look what I have done for you. See how self-righteous he was? I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Really? He's doing it right now as he speaks. Amazing, isn't it? This is the pharisaical spirit. This is the religious spirit. This is the holier-than-thou spirit. I, I've never wrote it of your I've always, always been obedient to you. His father's pleading with him to come in, and he's denying him it. He won't do it. And he's saying, I've never disobeyed you, and he's standing doing it as he speaks. He just didn't get it, did he? And all of his service and all of his work, all of it, he wasn't doing it because he loved his father. It was just performance. See how diligent I am. See how good I am. See how hard a worker I am. See how holy I am. I'm not like him. I don't disobey you. See, that reminds us again when Jesus was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees, he tells another story in Luke 18. He said, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. See many I's I's here. I, 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 me, me, me. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. same principle applies in this story. So here's this. His anger's coming out, his self-righteousness is coming to the fore, his sense of performance, everything was done out of performance. He says, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Ah. Well, hold on a minute. That's a wee bit unfair. The father had given him. Two thirds of his whole inheritance. He owned just about every goat in the place. He could have killed any goat at any time. He had any party he wanted, any time of the day he wanted. But you see, he's angry with the Father now. He's saying to the Father, This is not fair. Now you see, listen to me very carefully, if we don't grasp the concept of grace, Enough, we will think that the father was unfair to this son. This is why Jesus is telling this story. It's different how God thinks about fairness, how we think about it. Listen to it. You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. God, you owe me. Father, you owe me. You haven't really done anything for me. I've done it all for you. Look at how hard I worked. Is this the thanks I get for it? You Never threw a party for me. And sometimes people do this in church life, you know. So look at the effort I put in. Look at the work I did. Look at all I did for that people and those, that place and those people. Look at all I did for that person. Look at all I did. So maybe you're wanting praise all along. Maybe that was what the reason was. Maybe you didn't do it for the Father God at all. Maybe you just did it to be seen. It's Jesus touching some areas here. Regarding motive. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I make merry with my friends. Now here's another thing he didn't understand here. This wasn't any ordinary party. I mean, it wasn't like a birthday party. It wasn't like an anniversary party. It wasn't like a social thing. The only reason there was a party at all is because one lost sinner had come home. It's the only reason. It's the only reason. And he didn't see that. He just says, you're having a party. But he didn't see the heart of the Father Listen to me. He lived in the father's house all those years and he didn't know the heart of the father. Didn't know his father's heart. And this proves it. This proves it. Didn't even begin to understand the father's heart. Totally could not understand why in the world there should be a party for this brother because he didn't understand grace. It just... Didn't seem fair. Now, let me say to you grace isn't fair. It's not meant to be fair. Rewards are fair. What you work for is fair. If you get a reward for it, you get a wage for it, that's fair. But grace isn't fair, it's done out of pure love. It's not fair. Let me try to show you this through another parable. In Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went again, he went out into this, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, have you been standing here idle all day? Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who were hired about the eleventh hour, each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden on the heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Ah. Now you see, that to those people didn't seem fair. They were the ones who were out at the first hour, first light, six o'clock in the morning, working all day in the heat of the day, worked the longest time, these other ones just worked one hour, and they both got the same pay. Does that seem fair to you? You know, on the face of it, it just doesn't seem fair, does it? But actually, the landowner made a deal with him at the start. I'll pay you a denarius. And so when they worked all day, he paid them a the denarius. Nothing wrong with that. That's the deal. They got what they signed up for. They got their money. But he made the same deal with the one who worked in an our. And why shouldn't he? Why couldn't he? It's his money. He can do what he likes. And this is the point he's making to the Pharisees. Because, you see, they were the ones who were in the beginning. They were the ones who felt, well, we have a history. We're the religious people with a big, long history. You know, we can go right back. You know, we, we take the law of Moses. Not like these publicans and sinners, these rascals, these Johnny-come. Johnny. These Johnny-come-latelys and... Uh, you know, and, and, and look at them, They're getting, he, he's getting a fatted calf kill for him, and he's not messed up, and I've stayed here all this time and didn't mess up, and I ain't got no fat calf, that's not fair, but you see, grace isn't fair, it's not meant to be fair, it's meant to be a mercy from the Father's heart, and he can give mercy to whoever, he wants to give mercy, grace to whoever, he wants to give grace, it's his mercy, it's his grace, he can do what he likes with it, can't he? And that's why you may be saved 50 years. And somebody in the house tonight say, if they give their heart to Christ, the moment they give their heart to Jesus, they're saved as much as you are. You've been saved as 50 years. That's grace. Just the same. You'll go to heaven, they'll go to heaven. But you see, the Pharisees didn't look at it that way. They thought, well, well, we've earned this. We haven't earned it. We've earned it. We've been the true blues. We've been the steady ones. We've earned this. This is what Jesus is trying to get through to them. It's all of his grace. It's all of his mercy. And so, here he is, and let me find my place again. He's very angry. And he's saying, But as soon as this son of yours came, notice he doesn't call him his brother. In fact, he doesn't even call father his father. He's been very, very rude and disrespectful. This son of yours. And believe in me, he's not my brother. This son of yours. You see how he's mad at the both of them? Because he's better than they are. He's more deserving. He's the more deserving one. He should be the one that's being honored, not this one. Somebody said it's easy to weep with those who weep, but it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. a lot harder, isn't it? <laughs> it's easy to weep with those who weeps to commiserate, say I'm sorry. But if somebody comes and said, do you know what happened to me today? boy?" God give me this massive blessing. Do you find it easy to rejoice with him? Or are you secretly thinking, oh, I didn't get any blessing. Long <laughs> well, time since I got a blessing like that. Huh, imagine him getting that blessing. What's wrong with me? I mean, I've been on the go longer than he has. I've been working harder for the kingdom than he ever did. See, that's that self-righteous, far religious spirit comes up. And this is what Christ is trying to deal with here. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You have killed the fatted cow for him. Let me just remind you, Father, what that son of yours is really like. Well, the father knew what he was like. And the son knew what he was like too. He had lived in the pig pen. He knew all about it. He had lived that life. And he was thoroughly sick of it. Glad to get out of it. See, it's not fair. Hmm. Start thinking grace is fair, you're going to be in trouble. It's just the mercy of God, isn't it? God can take somebody from the moment they're saved and just absolutely bless them and just elevate them and just encourage them and strengthen them and just lift them up and do great things with them and somebody's been saved 50 years sitting there how did that happen? Why not not happen to me? That's just the grace of God. Never understand that. But it's God's mercy. He can do what he wants with it, can't he? Actually, God doesn't owe us a thing. Sure, he doesn't. We owe him everything, but we couldn't pay it anyway. Then he said to him, Son, you know, the son's mentioned several times in this chapter, but. Each time it's mentioned, it's a different word than this. This is the only time the word technon is used here for son. And it really means dear son, beloved son. Whenever Mary and Joseph, remember that they lost Jesus for three days and then back and found him in the temple and they called him son. Same word, technon, dear son, beloved son. So the father's, and we need to understand this. The father is very, very tender hearted here. He's desperately, desperately wanting this older brother to change and to realize the error of his ways and to, and to stop that self righteousness and all of that bitterness that's welling up. He wants that anger stopped. So he says, Son, he says, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. You've got it all. What more do you want? I've given you everything. Look around you, everything is all yours. He could have said, your younger brother's got nothing. He blew it all. Wasted it. His whole inheritance is gone. He's come back in rags and he's stinking with a pig pen. Look at him. And you're moaning and groaning and look at what you've got. Look look what I've given to you. See the difference in that? See how that works. But as soon as this son of yours came and devoured your livelihood with a harlot, she killed the fatted cow for him. He said, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. You don't need to get on like this. And if there's any of those feelings that come up in our hearts, all we have to do is look and say, God, look what you have given me. Lord, look at the blessings you have bestowed upon me. And even if, if all you can say is, Lord, you have saved my eternal soul from a hell and damnation, if that's all you can say, that's enough to praise God through all eternity for. Right there, that's enough. That's all you need. And just to drive the point home, he said, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. It was right. I did the right thing. You didn't get it. You don't understand it. You don't know my heart. But it's right. For your brother was dead and is alive again. And he was lost. And he was found." I wonder what those scribes and Pharisees thought of that parable. Because you can be sure they knew exactly who he was speaking to. Everybody knew who he was speaking to. And Jesus just left it hanging there. Did you notice that? I wonder did the older brother come into the house. I wonder did he listen to the father and I wonder did he truly, truly repent. I wonder when the Heat went out of it. I wonder if he'd take a long walk up the fields again and thought and scratched his head and thought, what am I like? What am I doing? This is my brother. I shouldn't be like this. I should be grateful. I should be glad. I I should be in there rejoicing too, you know. But we don't know whether he did that or not. We don't know if he ever went into the house again. Jesus just left it there. We do know that the scribes and Pharisees, we do know the majority of them didn't come to Christ and they didn't, in fact, they put him on the cross. But some did. Some came to him. We know that two buried him. Two high up ones. And we know that one of the most strongest Pharisees, the most in fact, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, <laughs> born and bred a Pharisee. Saul of Tarsus. He became one of his greatest followers, didn't he? So maybe in the story, Jesus is just leaving the door open. Give them a chance. Let them see the Father's heart towards them that they didn't have to be that way exposing their self-righteousness and all that stuff that was in them just to try to deal with it, to get over it, get it out so that they could be rejoicing and glad when a sinner does come home and somebody does give their life to Christ. So that's the elder brother. Parables is meant to be held up so that we can see ourselves in the mirror. Sometimes we don't like what we see. Sure we don't. But that's what it's meant to do, isn't it? And so at any time if we feel that just rising up, remember the story and say, Lord, I don't want to beat it, that. It's disrespectful to your grace and your mercy. I'm not being respectful to your Generosity of spirit. Allow the Lord just to soften our hearts and to so that we can reach out like Christ reached out. Publicans and sinners loved Jesus. They followed Him everywhere because He treated them with compassion and mercy and generosity and love and forgiveness. Wanted to change their lives. One of his greatest disciples became one of his greatest apostles, Matthew, was a tax collector. Remember we did the study in the twelve disciples, twelve apostles? And how the rest of them had to deal with that. Him coming into their midst, the tax collector of all people. But they dealt with it. They dealt with it because we were beginning to understand the heart of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, tonight we have been made conscious of your merciful heart, your generosity of spirit, your unbelievable grace beyond our comprehension, more than we can ever imagine. And we thank you for it. Lord, it reached us where we were, undeserving as we were, but yet in your mercy and grace you touched us and you forgave us and you cleansed us and you made us new by the power of your Spirit. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight for all that you've done for each of us. And Father, may we know your heart. May we be conscious, Lord, we can come to your house every week and yet miss your heartbeat. Miss what's important to you. So help us, Lord, to know what's important to you. And Lord, what is important to your people, souls, men and women without Christ that needs to be saved. That's what's important to you. Lord, help us to reach out with a message of grace and mercy and love and win them for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.